Hello and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Hello and welcome to Single Fright Female in which the real fright is the extreme abundance of internalized homophobia. This is one of the most page-centric episodes of the entire series, and it's really a shame that most of that attention comes in the form of suspicion that she's A. But we've got a Pallison flashback, we've got a snake in the dressing room, we've got Hannah explaining how queerness works to Nate, and we've got Paige breaking mannequin hands all on her own. all this and the debut of Prezra's fake son. We are careening towards the mid-season finale, and I can't say for sure whether this is a PLL podcast tonight or a TED talk about queerness, identity, and narrative parallels. <laughs> Why can't it be both? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think any episode of Pretty Little Liars is uh, sort of grappling so explicitly with queerness as this episode is like everybody everybody has a little like mini sermon a mini a mini idea about what this all means and um you know we've got cousin nate we've got allison we've got spencer we've got Paige and emily themselves there's a lot going on in terms of uh what 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 being queer is really all about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh totally agree Uh, Before we dive in, just a quick content warning that this is an episode that may include discussion about Paige and Uh, Mm self-harm. We will give you another heads up as we get into the scenes where that's going to come up. Um, But, you know, just did want to let you know up front so you can make the best choice for yourselves uh, as we go along. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for for offering that. Um, Shall we dive in? Shall we dive into this episode? Yes. All right. Please please proceed. (laughs) So uh, we begin in Hannah's room. Hannah and Spencer have an interesting thing happening this episode where pretty much everything that they're doing is pretty nonsensical, but they're both having such a good time with each other that you can kind of forget about that. So the big headline of this morning is that none of Hannah's skirts fit over her bandaged leg and she is upset. She needs to let her leg breathe during the day or else it might get infected. She finds this ridiculous peasant skirt uh, in her closet that was from a middle school production of Mamma Mia. Side note, is Mamma Mia really a musical that middle schools are putting on? I have some questions about that. Um, Spencer helps her pin the skirt in. They kind of make it work as an outfit. Uh, And then Ren calls Hannah and we see that Spencer has picked up on the weird Ren and Hannah vibes. She is suspicious um, and she gets really close to naming Ren's predation here. She refers to Ren as persuasive. She calls him downtown, downtown grabby, uh, which is a funny but somewhat troubling line if you actually think about it. Um, and yeah, I always feel like it's like it's sort of worse when PLL names the stuff because they do it like they do it in this lighthearted, jokey way rather than acknowledging what it actually is. But anyway, Hannah insists that none of that is going on with her and Ren. She just wants to get to school. She wants her mom to leave. Um, but we hear that the doorbell rings. Hannah or uh, Hannah and Spencer kind of like sneak down to to listen as Pastor Ted arrives. He has found the NAT flash drive, which if we'll remember, uh, Spencer threw in the church during her confrontation with Ian at the end of season one. Um, he says that he has 
watched probably way more of the videos than he's going to admit to Ashley here, but he's watched enough to kind of get the gist of what these videos are. Um, Ashley says that there was a bully last year, uh, which again, I feel like calls into question how public the whole Mona story is because it seems like this is kind of news to Pastor Ted. Um, Spana listens from the stairs. Hannah, weirdly, the thing that Hannah decides to be really freaked out by is that the Jenna blackmail video is on there and that this will somehow become public and that Jenna will get mad at her and make things harder for her and Caleb, which like, okay, I guess kind of makes sense. Um, I feel like the, yeah, it like the stakes make sense if we squint. Uh, Pastor Ted weirdly kind of segues this interaction into flirting with Ashley, inviting her on a date. Uh, and then Ashley kind of, uh, smartly plants the flash drive as a little sting for Hannah and Spencer who immediately go downstairs and try to grab it and Ashley spots them. Yeah, this is a perfect example of how the liars should wait more than two seconds uh, after a mom like yeah. turns their back or leaves the room. Like so many times we see the liars doing that where like Veronica hasn't even gotten into her car yet. Spencer's already like onto her next caper. Um, but yeah, Ashley does catch them here. Uh, and it's it's a thing of beauty the way that she worked that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, I also really like the way that Hannah and Spencer, like all that happened was that someone was at the door. They didn't know who it was or anything, and they just automatically sneaked down the stairs to spy. That's just their like, that's just yep. their main MO. They had no way of knowing that it was going to be anything Nat or mystery related. Completely, uh-huh. completely. Also, I texted this to you, but like how many times do they have to be interested in the same guy before they're going to figure out that they should just date each other? I mean, (laughs) come on. By the end of the series, it's like a little bit ridiculous, isn't it? It's hard to argue against that for sure. Right? Right? Oh my goodness. Uh, After the credits, Spencer has apparently been sent away and or just vanished from the scene (laughs) uh, because Ashley has Hannah alone and is asking her if she knew about these videos uh, she knows who took them. Was it Mona? Uh, Hannah kind of goes down the path of least resistance and says, yes, it was Mona, but pleads with her mom not to go to the cops because she does not want Mona to be moved from the hospital to a jail cell. Uh, Ashley is unmoved, saying she's not Mona's biggest fan. She declares that she will watch the videos and decide what to do by the end of the day. But then she says she'll be driving Hannah to school and Hannah can explain why she's wearing her Mama Mia costume. Active parenting, you love to see it. <laughs> yes, it's such a such a rare moment here. I shudder to think what Ella would have done if she had been handed this flash drive. <laughs> well, I mean, nothing. It would have been yeah. very safe. Like she yeah. would have still been thinking about it like 20 years later when the flash drive, flash drive technology was no longer retrievable. <laughs> exactly. She'd be like, I'm going to think about what I'm going to do th- with this forever. <laughs> Um, speaking of the repercussions of Ella's bad parenting choices, uh, over at Casa de Presria, they are doing their classic little dance. It is Presria's birthday and Aria wakes him up with kisses and flowers. He is kind of grumpy and says that he'd be more char- he'll be more charming when he's awake, which is a lie. Uh, we learn that he wrote an email to Maggie. He's worried that Maggie's life spiraled out of control. Um, and of course has not a care in the world for Arya's feelings about any of this. Uh, his mom's actions really threw him. Arya insists that he not spend his birthday like this and tells Prezra to just call Maggie. 
But of course, of course, Presrick can't because that would be too simple and too easy. And he wants to mope about this for a little bit longer. Yeah, the thing that makes me really, um, it just drives me up a wall about the storyline is that no one really cares about Maggie at all. This whole, this whole thing is just like a straw man situation, uh, which is about assuaging Arya and Prezra's relative amounts of guilt. And Arya doesn't even really have anything to feel guilty about. All she did was point out that the whole story of Maggie and his family was pretty fucked up, which it is. Uh, And the appropriate response to that, instead of like, you know, trying to like think about whether or not he should intrude on the life of someone who seems very content to have left him uh, entirely behind, the appropriate response would be for him and Arya to have like an honest and open discussion about the Fitzgerald family dynamics and how they might impact their relationship. But, you know, who wants to do that when there's a chance for some meddling afoot? Right, because I I think the underlying thing that we're not really acknowledging here is this fear Arya's fear that she's going to turn into Maggie that she's that that you know she's going to become considered just this inconvenience and you know get paid off and go off somewhere and never be able to see Prezra again and also the the weird all of the weird power dynamics of Prezra and of Prezra's family that this is all bringing to the surface and um it's all just kind of getting it's like Maggie is like like a really like just bad like a bad vehicle for subtext in a way oh yeah oh a hundred percent uh elsewhere in town emily and Paige, the erstwhile stars of this episode uh, are having breakfast together outside the brew and emily is um emily is distracted uh she's not really paying attention uh then she comes clean to Paige that she and nate kissed uh she says she doesn't know why it happened she's confused Paige is actually, she's much calmer about it now than she seemed in the immediate aftermath. And she suggests uh, that Emily misses Maya, so does Nate. They love the same person, but that doesn't mean they feel that way about each other. You know, kind of giving like a Transference 101 mini seminar. Uh, Maybe the lines are just kind of blurry right now. And uh, Emily seems to agree with this idea in general. Yeah, I don't love this scene. I mean, I like that Paige is having this reaction here. I don't really like that Paige is the one to explain the concept of transference to Emily because I think I think it sets up kind of this weird dynamic where we know that Paige like obviously has skin in the game of Emily not being interested in Nate and it ends up I think sort of feeding into this narrative that gets pitched throughout this episode that Paige is basically manipulating Emily. Um, I really, really wish that instead um, this had been a thing where Emily was talking to her mom or maybe Hannah. Um, and I think actually her mom would probably be better as sort of an authority figure to talk this out with and not somebody who um, Emily is romantically involved in and who has a pretty vested interest in Emily not being interested in Nate. You know, you make a good point. I feel like, I mean, I feel like, although it is certainly written as, you know, an attempt to make Paige seem manipulative, I do feel like Paige is, like, acting in the best interests of Emily. Like, I think that she, anybody, anybody who wants to have more distance between Emily and Cousin Nate is going to, like, get my vote here in the, yeah. uh, in this episode. But also, I think that, um, I think that 
Paige, like, there are a lot of things that Paige could say about Emily and Cousin Nate, and the fact that she doesn't go all in on making it seem like a bad thing, the fact that she kind of humanizes it and makes it seem like an understandable, Mm -hmm. but, you know, maybe not, you know, maybe not as, as real as it seems to be to Emily right now thing. Um, you know, I'm I'm in her corner on that. But I don't like that she has to do emotional labor on behalf of Emily and Nate. That seems unfair to me. Yeah. What do you think of Emily's um Emily's response of saying that she that the kiss felt right in the moment, but she feels confused? What do you think of that? Um, I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, um, I think that Emily is just, I think Emily is maybe suffering from some over niceness um, Mm -hmm. and that she never wants to make anyone feel bad necessarily. Um, But I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad that it ends where it does. Do you think it did feel right in the moment to her? Oh man, you can never, you can never know. Um, she says that it did, but I, I mean, I, I just think that Emily, I, I don't think it was like, it, it wasn't Emily's truth that felt right in that, like it was Emily's grief, like it was Emily's sure. grief that was acting there um, as, as necessarily opposed to her heart. Um, and it was also, I mean, I, I think that, I think that if you asked Emily about that, uh, in two weeks, I think her answer might be a little bit different. Yeah. Well, and I also think that there's like, there's some, as we talked about last week and into this week, there's some not great storytelling around this whole issue. There's an interesting, there's some interesting kernels wrapped up in some not great storytelling. I just have to have a quick moment to talk about Paige's look in this scene. And for the majority of this episode, um, she white t-shirt, black vest, hair pulled back, um, some beads, Later, we'll see the rest of this look. I think each time we see this look, it looks slightly gayer. Mm. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, actually. Uh, Paige grows in queerness and strength as the episode goes on. <laughs> yeah, so it just gets stronger and stronger. And curiously, Spencer seems to get more and more uncomfortable around her. Hmm. Mm. No connection there. Um, well, I'm so sorry that you drew the Aria card today, it seems <laughs> like. No, that's okay. I think you like last week or the con game episode week. You had you had a lot of the Aria scenes, so it's okay. I kind of enjoyed. I actually have to say, I was getting some kind of perverse glee as the episode went on with the Aria scenes because they're so sad and so stupid. Like to the point where at the end, she and Wesley are like tandem taking cakes out of the oven together, and I was like, okay, this is just. Yeah. Well, I told you, I have much. so I have but so at much this to point say. in Aria's morning. Oh, no, I was going to say, I just have yeah. so much to say about the other stuff that I'm glad you're taking taking these on because, like, some of my notes on the Aria scenes were very, uh, very sparse. Like, Ezra's fake son, yada, 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 happy birthday, asshole, and see, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, that's basically what it is. Um, but in this moment, Aria at least gets to share the screen with Spencer. She, They are at school and... Arya is getting filled in on this flash drive information, but she is super distracted and Spencer can tell. Um, Arya quickly redirects this convo to talk about Prezra's birthday and the Maggie of it all. 
She, of course, wants to get in touch with Maggie. Spencer points out what a bad idea this is. Spencer slash Troyan are doing all that they can to salvage this scene with, like, various, you know, comedic deliveries of different lines. Um, and Arya kind of, like, basically tells Spencer to butt out of her relationship, which, LOL, at Arya telling somebody to butt out of a relationship. Arya, queen of meddling in her parents' love life. Um, and meddling in the life of this woman, Maggie, already. Um, they are, they see that Cece is here at the school. Looks like, it looks like she's passing out some flyers and smiling at people. Um, Aria quips that Cece never left high school. Spencer seems befuddled here and will seem befuddled for basically this whole episode. <laughs> um, this is a very poorly written scene. Uh, and I really cringe at Aria's line where she says like her justification for uh, disregarding Spencer's advice and, you know, barging down to uh, Delaware to check on Maggie is that uh, they can't move forward until Prezra does. And it's like, what does moving forward mean for your relationship with your former high school English teacher? Like what exactly, like you're still in high school. What, like also he's known about this for like a pretty short amount of time. What exactly, like, is are you prevented from doing uh, by the fact that this has not been investigated yet, Arya? <laughs> right, right. And maybe it's just Arya, you know, like, she has, like, like, she hasn't gotten to, like, flex her mystery muscles because she's been so caught up in this, in this Prezra stuff. And so she's like, well, I guess I can channel it into this situation. <laughs> oh, so Spencer follows Cece outside where she is putting up flyers for a first look fashion trunk show at diva dish um this event is like very uh it's very amorphous we never see the event happen and it there are very complex uh signals about what exactly it might be there's a lot of setting up that never seems to lead to anything being set up um but it's described on the flyer as a fashion uh, a fashion trunk show uh, Spencer was apparently supposed to help Cece with this event, but she totally spaced. Um, Spencer vows that she will now uh, do everything that she can, and she'll bring her friends. Uh, Cece is okay with that, and she mentions that Spencer does kind of owe her for the UPenn favor. Uh, she asks if Spencer has any rich friends that she can put in seats, and I just have to assume this is her broadly hinting that it'd be great if Melissa wanted to stop by. <laughs> but she cannot finish this thought because she has to wind Spencer up at the sight of Paige and Emily together. They're walking arm in arm as uh, Paige walks her bike up to the school. How early does Spencer arrive for classes? Remember how late she was there to snoop in Noel's locker? Is she sleeping in the air vents now? Anyway, Cece asks if Emily is into Paige. Spencer confirms that they're dating. Cece says, that's so messed up. If Allie were alive to see Emily cuddling up to pigskin, she and that wench had it out for each other. Uh, do you want to take the flashback that Spencer goes into here? Um, well, I just, I, before we get there, I just have to have a, say a couple quick notes on this first part of the scene. Cece is so wonderful here. I love, you know, that, the liars spaced on helping her because of like a stuff that she set up. So like she set this whole thing up. I also love the meta-ness of she basically, she references the liars being fashionistas, which is a great little reference to, you know, them being fashionistas. Paige's look has gotten even more gay now with the addition of 
uh, bike, suspenders, capri pants, and Emily Fields on her arm. Um, and I think uh, with with that being said, do you want to take the flashback? Oh, I, I sure can. And also, this is uh, this is going to be like a slight mention from Allison of Paige possibly self-harming. So just um, if, if anyone is not remembering that part of the scene, just to give a heads up. Uh, flashback, yep. apparently triggered by the name Pigskin. Uh, and this is a moment that where we're going to be, you know, mentioning the origin of this nickname. Uh, in the hazy filter of the past, the liars, Sans Emily, are gathered in Allison's room trying on clothes. Spencer has tried on a purple top that Aria notes looks great on her. Allison wants it, though, and so she bullies Spencer into giving it up. That's not the part of your bod you want to draw attention to. Show off those Hastings legs, she says. Uh, Spencer reluctantly lets Allie try the top on, and as she's changing, uh, a giant bruise on the back of her shoulder becomes visible. Hannah asks how that happened, and Allison says she fell down in soccer and pigskin kicked her. Aria, who apparently has never heard Allie use a mean nickname before, is like, who's pigskin? Allie uh, describes pigskin as a freakazoid in her gym class and follows up with, don't worry, it won't happen again. And then in an exchange that I absolutely love, Hannah asks if that's the girl who threw the muffin at you. Allie says, no, that's triple nipple. She's harmless. I love this insight into Allie's life as a mean girl. Like, so many codenames for her enemies, a girl who randomly threw a muffin at her, the fact that throwing a muffin at Allison in her world qualifies as harmless. Like, I don't know about you, if someone threw a muffin at me, I would be like, I would be upset about it for a while. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, also, how much attention is Allison paying to this girl's nipples? I have many <laughs> questions, many questions around that interaction. Um, but... <laughs> Anyway, unlike Triple Nipple, uh, according to Allison, uh, Pigskin is, she says, psychotic. Uh, when Spencer asks why Allie calls her Pigskin, Allie tosses off that it's because she has these weird bumps on her thighs that she claims is eczema, but Allie told her, hun, she needs to stop poking herself south of the equator. Ari asks who this person is, what's her real name, and Allie says it doesn't matter. Once she's done with that no-neck bitch, she won't even exist. Then she decides she's keeping the top that Spencer wanted. Uh, this scene is such an interesting psychological study of the pre-series liars, because I really think that each one of them individually, if they saw signs that someone was hurting themselves, they would try to help. But they're in such thrall to Allie here that no one questions her. Um, no, no one questions her uh, being this cruel. Uh, no one questions her... Uh, you know, like further on what's going on between her and this person. Uh, and also being that this is a story like Allison, who we know is not always 100% honest with the liars, is telling them in this moment, and then it's being retold by Cece to Spencer. How much of this story do you think we should believe or Spencer should believe? Oh, that's a great question. That's a really great question. I I think that I think that the episode kind of tells us to take this memory at face value more or less because mm. Paige pretty much confirms this story later in the episode. 
Uh, but it is, I just find it so fascinating that Cece, who's, you know, this sort of, you know, uh, Ali 2.0, that she, here she is, you know, resurrecting Ali's bad feelings towards Paige from the beyond the grave, stirring the liars all up. Emily will even uh, put a name to that a little bit later in this episode. Um, it's really, it is really, really fascinating. And then when you start looking at the parallels between Allison and Paige and Allison and Spencer and Spencer and Paige, like it just, it keeps folding in on itself in a really, a really amazing way. Um, what do you think of the way that, let's just take it scene by scene. Let's, what do you think of the way that this scene talks about Paige's self-harm? Because I feel like it's done in this sort of vague, jokey way where you could, somebody not paying very close attention could watch this scene and be like, oh, what's Allie referring to? Oh, what, like, could, could, not, could not read it what it's supposed to be. Yeah, uh, that's that's true. Allison is definitely joking. Um, it's also it, like it's interesting in a lot of ways. It's interesting that Allison has noticed this, that Allison yes. has picked up on it, um, that Allison uh, in the locker room was, uh, you know, for for purposes of reconnaissance or for other reasons, looking at parts of Paige's body. Um, yeah. It, it's like, it's just crazy that this becomes the basis for why she invents this nickname for Paige, yeah. uh, that, that it's something like, it just, it says a lot about just the baseless cruelty that Allison is capable of, um, that, that she does this, that's her reaction to it. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I remember at the time that Paige, Paige haters, and maybe there's still people out there, were, were, would refer to Paige as pigskin in the fandom. Yeah. Is oh, yeah. Really, really awful when you think about mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I think that it's, um, it's interesting that they, that they chose to have it be sort of a little bit more more vague or a little bit less of a kind of less common references to self-harm than maybe we're kind of used to. Um, and I, I think it's very similar to me in the way that they deal with Hannah's eating disorder, where if you're paying attention, you know what's going on, but it's all like it is kind of talked about in these sort of broad, vague terms um, whether for the sake of trying to keep the show more family friendly or for the sake of not wanting to spell everything out um, or ha- worries about, you know, potentially influencing younger viewers. I don't know. But uh, it, it, I do think it's an interesting choice. Um, and that even when Paige is talking about it later, it's it's clear what she's talking about if you're paying attention. But one could have a bit of plausible deniability, I guess, to not put the pieces together. Agreed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we come out of this flashback and Spencer is staring off at Paley in a way that she's probably done a million times before. Uh, as Cece flounces off and McHastings share their first intense smoldering eye contact of the episode. <laughs> their first, but by no means their last. <laughs> no, no siree. Um, and then I'll just take this next little scene because it's really short. 
Uh, this felt like a scene to me out of the first season of Buffy. I don't know about you. Go over <laughs> to um, the computer lab and Hannah is typing a message, but but saying the message in voiceover, um, typing a message to somebody talking about, you know, being worried and missing them and and all of this concern about what's going to happen. And then we see that she's typing the message to Caleb, who is on the other side of the computer lab, talking about the cute little wrinkle over her her eye. Caleb is very thirsty in this episode. Um, and these two, they're like the worst spies in the universe because Jenna walks right over, like basically reads Hannah's whole series of messages over her shoulder and then says that Hannah's time is up. Other people <laughs> need to use the computers. And Caleb glares at Jenna. Yeah, this is like a very unlikely amount of demand for the shared school computers in this day and age. Um, yeah. But, you know, okay, there, there's like a wait and Hannah has to go so that Jenna can sit down at that specific computer. Yes, yeah, I expect that, you know, Jenny Calendar is like directing traffic <laughs> in the corner or something. Oh my gosh, 100%. Oh, um, back in the present, uh, CC is talking to Spencer about unloading boxes. Uh, Spencer is barely paying attention, but uh, agrees to. Oh no, we just oh. said this. She's uh, helping her set up after school. Uh, so we flash ahead uh, outside in the town. An extra is reading a newspaper that announces the Reynolds trial is days away. Nate is sitting around waiting for Emily. She rides up on Paige's bike, which she borrowed because she has to race back to swim practice. Nate wastes no time in being gross, as he says, bet she doesn't look half as good rounding those corners as you. Emily starts to say that she's glad he called because, but he cuts her right off and says he hopes she hasn't eaten yet. He's starving. Would she like to grab a slice? Gosh, remember how Maya mentioned that guy who wouldn't take no for an answer? Hmm. Just thought of that for no particular reason. Random. Uh, anyway, Emily does not want pizza, but she agrees to walk with him. He wants to know what time she's done mm. with practice, and he puts an arm around her shoulders uninvited, as he also suggests they go into Philly or grab dinner and a movie together. She tells him to slow down, and he acts offended. Sorry, he just thought it would be nice to spend some time together outside of this town. Emily stays on script and says before they make plans, they need to talk. She's clear with him that she wants to keep things on a friendship level. He moves closer, invading her personal space, as he says, what about the other night? What about it, dude? She doesn't owe you anything. Uh, Emily is nice about it, though, uh, and says she doesn't regret it. I do. But it doesn't. it does not change things. Uh, he backs up and sarcastically says, wow, wow, you and Maya really did have a lot in common, didn't you? Oh, what a picture of a grieving cousin this young man is, using his beloved relative's memory to browbeat Emily with. So touching. Anyway, he reveals an unprecedented level of hostility towards Maya, saying she liked to pretend she was spontaneous, but really, she was just reckless. Emily protests that she was not being reckless, and Nate tells her she can stop. He remembers Maya sitting in his car giving that same speech to, like, 20 different guys. And just check this animosity that he is suddenly revealing here. Uh, Emily just doesn't seem to clock it. She just acts kind of hurt and says they should talk later. She takes off, and he calls after her, but she is not sticking around after that, period. 
Yes. Um, it's funny because later Emily will be like, I made it really clear to Nate that I'm dating Paige. And it's like, no, you didn't, Emily. <laughs> I, I have that note, too. I, I theorize that perhaps uh, perhaps riding up on Paige's bike signifies that they're married now. That was kind of a power move on Paige's part to, like, lend Emily the bike <laughs> for this particular conversation. Um, she's like, Paige is like, you're going to meet Nate? Here, take my bike. <laughs> <laughs> Take my bike in case you need to make a fast getaway. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's. It, I do think that this is like what you were talking about earlier. There's a little bit of Emily suffering from trying to be a little bit too nice here. Like she says that she doesn't regret the kiss. She says they need to keep things on a friendship level. I mean, she does make that very clear. Um, but I also think that she's. she is – I don't think she's totally clocking the animosity, but I think she is pretty thrown by his comments about Maya. And um, – rightly probably for her own physical and emotional safety uh decides to literally pedal right out of there yeah i i think that emily is being uh like here nate is coming in uh really hot like he's you know he's like already like he's like do you want to go to philadelphia and like you know get dinner in a movie or maybe look at wedding venues what do you think and she's just like like he's already decided on this narrative where like they're a couple now uh and emily i think is she she's very clear on setting a boundary that no that's not what's happening but she's really going out of her way to spare his feelings which i think uh is not necessary given the way that he's behaving here no no and given the fact that he's like going to clearly do everything in his in his power to not hear the words that she is telling him um yeah oh nate you do you're really uh maybe he is maya's real cousin because he too is coming in at 11 well yeah but then there are there are later parts of this episode where i have spencer coming in at like a 12 a 15 and possibly a 20 yes oh yes um, it's, it's another Aria scene. Um, Aria arrives at an elementary school pretending to be, um, that a young undergrad named Amy who, uh, wants to observe Maggie's class. We see Maggie. Um, Maggie is warm and bubbly and seems just like a very normal, nice person. Um, you know, this is always Arya's move, pretending to be a college student. It worked with Prezra, so maybe she's hoping that she and Maggie will get it on in the kindergarten bathroom. <laughs> um, Maggie does have very short hair for a woman on this show, but I think that's meant to True. show her as a no-nonsense single mom rather than overtly queer. <laughs> I think I think that you are right. I think you're right. Also, like... Aria has crossed state lines to get to, like, to get to this school. Uh, And the school has, like, apparently no security at all. Like, you don't have to arrange, like, teacher visits through the front office. You don't have to, like, sign in or show any type of identification. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. The the blind school had more security. (laughs) Okay, back at school where everyone else just got out of class, but Aria has somehow made it to Delaware already. Um, (laughs) Emily and Spencer are talking at the lockers. Emily confides that she may have led Nate on, but she's now made it clear that she's dating Paige. Uh, As we said, we didn't really see that, but maybe it was the bike. Uh, Spencer 
on the mention of Paige, takes Emily by the arm and asks leadingly if Paige has ever mentioned her history with Allie. The way she says history, I would totally think they dated, uh, but Spencer doesn't mean that. She means they weren't just passing acquaintances. They were in a war. Emily is nonplussed and asks where Spencer heard this from. Uh, Spencer says Cece, uh, and once uh, she says, you know, it was Cece, but once she told her Allie's nickname for her, it all clicked. Uh, Emily points out that Allie had nicknames for half the school, and that doesn't qualify as a history. Spencer counters that according to Cece, and uh, Emily asks point blank why they're trusting her now. Great question. Um, Spencer says that they're trusting her because Allie might have told her things that she couldn't tell the liars. Emily tries to just leave the conversation at this point, but Spencer is like a freight train. She points out that Emily and Paige have been dating on and off for almost a year now, which is an interesting revision, being that a year ago cuts firmly into like the time when Emily was dating Maya the second time around and when she was in Haiti and like not, you know, communicating with anybody in Rosewood. Uh, so, you know, I, I have some questions about that, but I'm assuming that maybe she's, uh, really just trying to wedge the facts to fit into her own narrative. Uh, or it could be that she's been having sex dreams about Paige and Emily on and off for the past year. That makes much more sense. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) But anyway, since it's been a year, Spencer thinks it's odd that Paige has never mentioned anything about Allison to Emily. Uh, I don't think that's weird at all. I think it's pretty respectful to not start a conversation about Emily's dead best friend slash first love being a total monster. It shows restraint, something that Spencer is sorely lacking here. Uh, Anyway, Emily calls her out beautifully on history repeating itself uh, and says that Cece, like Allison before her, is pitting them against each other. Spencer doesn't even hear this really because she's too busy digging in calling what Paige and Allison had going on uh, as, as an ongoing feud and bringing up that Paige has a bit of a dark side. Emily bristles, and Spencer's total inability to read the room continues. Uh, she's also gaslighting Emily during this conversation, saying that she's not accusing Paige of anything, while simultaneously accusing Paige of having concealed a burning animosity for and possible wish to harm Allison. Uh, She brings up Paige trying to drown Emily and calls her sneaky and a snake for nearly getting Emily kicked off the swim team. Uh, That was actually Paige's dad, and Paige clearly wanted nothing to do with it, but Spencer is just being a real jerk. Uh, Also, why is she coming in at a 12 here? Why not just ask Emily to ask Paige about this? Uh, Emily is now just absolutely furious, and she storms away, leaving Spencer alone, but still convinced of her righteousness yeah spencer really comes across as unhinged here and this is one of those things where like it's it's like a bad storytelling thing it's like one of those things where it's like the characters know that we're one episode away from a finale and they're like oh my god we got to ramp ramp up the tension and do this you know throw this big misdirect out there um but it it just feels um really off the wall, especially since for most of this season, Spencer has kind of been going on this, I think, really interesting journey with, like, slowly accepting that Garrett might 
not actually be the killer and what does that mean for her and kind of coming to terms with her relationship with Jason and her relationship with Allison and all of that. Um, and, and also even the stuff with her and Toby, even though I'm not a huge fan of a lot of it, I think that that's, there's some compelling drama there about kind of Spencer's sort of addiction to the mystery, partially driving a wedge between them. Um, and, and as we've talked about sort of Spencer's grief over the kind of the loss of the mystery and the loss of a, and then her, um, complete terror about a still being around, you know, like, I think that there's been a lot of great threads for Spencer already this half season. And I just feel like, um, her behavior in this episode, uh, while not necessarily inconsistent with the Spencer that we've come to know and love, I mean, she's pretty quick to accuse any person of being a, it just doesn't feel very grounded. It feels like almost, almost like a zany version of, of the Spencer character. (laughs) I mean, and we'll talk more about this later, I think, but, like, compare this to when she thinks that Ezra is A in season four and the whole journey that she goes on with that of um, sort of working herself up to be able to talk to Arya about it and feeling so much um, anxiety and sort of, uh, you know, double checking everything because she wants to be wrong so badly because she doesn't want to hurt her friend in this way. Uh, and, and, you know, Emily's relationship with Paige and Spencer or uh, Ari's relationship with Ezra are not definitely not on equal footing in terms of the way the show treats them. But it, it's such a difference. And, um, yeah, I think that Spencer just comes across as a really bad friend here. Like she. Yeah, it's it's not it's not very like it's almost not even fun to watch, I feel like. Well, I mean, I think that we can really talk about, like, what's happening with Spencer here. Why why does she trust Cece so implicitly? Like, on one hand, Cece did do her the favor about UPenn. Um, or maybe it's because, like, her doing the favor and then calling in that ship about it earlier. Uh, or maybe you know, that just plus Cece's whole personality. It's just so much like Allison that Spencer is like consciously or unconsciously trying to fall back into the loyal lieutenant role. Cause when you think about it, we're like, you know, a lot is going on for Spencer. Like she lost her, you know, like allegedly lost her boyfriend. Like Toby has left, her grades are falling. She's within half a season of getting committed to Radley and doing the ghost waltz herself. Like maybe this is a point where she would like to resign her position as the leader, like nature abhors a vacuum. And if Cece is here and wants to be the one to give Spencer marching orders, maybe Spencer is like pretty willing to go along with it. I think that's a really good point. I think that's a really good point. I also think that there's a dynamic, which is a really common dynamic um, in situations of bullying where you want to align yourself with the person who has the power and Cece is representing Allison who had the power against Paige. I mean, even though Paige, you know, fought back and all of that, Paige did not have loyal minions. Paige did not have a, a circle of people who, um, you know, loved and feared her in equal measure the way that Allison did. Paige, as she'll talk about later in this episode, and as we know from from season one, like Paige was very much alone and um, very much not, the person in a position of power in the in that dynamic and so I I think that Spencer is um you know I mean it's it's 
better to be the oppressor than the oppressed in this situation. And Spencer is kind of, uh, I think, falling in line with that a bit. Um, and and I also think, and it, we we talked about this a little bit on our Paige episode, but that there's Paige is Paige is a character makes people kind of uncomfortable. Um, and I think that um, even just from the standpoint of like she she doesn't conform to gender roles in the way that a lot of the female characters on this show do. And um, she's kind of an other in a way. And it's maybe more comfortable, especially if you look at Spencer as a character who is trying to conceal her own queerness. It's more comfortable for Spencer to align herself with um, with with somebody not like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's true. And also, like, when you were talking about Spencer, like, just latching onto Paige in a way that feels almost zany, I think that's also an example of, like, nature abhors a vacuum because Spencer has just had to accept that Noel and Jenna were not involved with Maya's murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garrett may not be involved with it, so she she needs to have a new suspect. But just to, like, kind of put a check on this, like, here are some suspects that she's ignoring. We have Lucas, who was out on the streets of the town the night that the body went missing and was spotted by um, by Arya and, and Hannah, uh, and also who had, you know, the pills that may have drugged Emily uh, mm-hmm. in, his, in his bag when Arya looked through that. So he's a pretty good suspect that we certainly haven't cleared. And I'm not sure whether they know that he was helping Mona before or not, but he was. Uh, also, Eric Kahn, who would also have access to the Kahn cabin at all times and would have known exactly where the camera line cut off uh, as, as Maya is grabbed. Um, Cece herself, who none of the liars had ever heard of before she rolled into town and started trying to out Allison the memory of Allison. Uh, cousin Nate, the bereaved relative, now trying to put moves on Emily, as Emily was just telling Spencer about. Or even Holden, who was with Noel and Jenna for part but not all of that night, and who had an undefined situation with Maya. Um, you know, I'm willing to say that maybe Spencer wouldn't want to look into Jason or Melissa. Melissa, who was the black swan uh, and faked a pregnancy and was in Allie's room the night that Allie went missing. Or Jason, who was connected to both Allison and Maya. Uh, you know, I, I know that Spencer always wanted to protect her own family, but that's still a really long list of suspects who I think are much more compelling than Paige McCullers. Right. Well, and I mean, I think that this there's a way in which you could also read that this comes back to the fact that, you know, we've talked about Paige and Spencer are very, very similar. And who is Spencer ultimately the most fearful of and the most kind of convinced might be guilty of it all is herself. And by interrogating Paige, she's interrogating herself. Oh, yeah, I, I, exactly. Like, that's why Spencer is always accusing everybody of being the killer. She's deeply worried, like, on a psychosomatic level that it could be her. And I think that speaks volumes about how willing she is to latch on to Paige. And also, like, she is just implicitly defining Paige's queerness as the main motive. Like, yes. I think it's not implausible at all to wonder if whether Spencer is responding in this way because she's equally afraid of acknowledging queerness within herself. Um, you know, it's certainly no excuse, but I do think that internalized biphobia could be playing a role here, especially given the way the show often uses parallel storylines to reflect on questions of identity. And we're going to see a ton of internalized biphobia being responsible for Allison's treatment of Paige later in this episode. Yes. And we will we'll talk about it more. I definitely want us to, to 
to keep tabs on, and I know we will, I, I have no doubt that we will, um, the way that Paige's queerness becomes evidence of her guilt. Because this is something that, uh, this is a tried and true thing on PLL, that somebody's queerness is evidence of their guilt. And uh, perhaps nowhere does that feel more potent than in Paige's storyline here. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so another uh, ambiguously queer, ambiguously evil character, <laughs> Jenna Marshall, is uh, sitting outside doing her creepy eating routine. She's eating cherries and lining up the pits. Um, when Hannah approaches her, Hannah says that the video of Jenna and Toby might get out because of the, the whole thumb drive thing. Uh, she wants to clarify that if it does get out, the liars are not responsible. Um, there's this wonderful t- shot where Hannah is talking about the liars not deserving to be punished for something they didn't do as Jenna pulls her sunglasses down over her eyes as though to remind Hannah of the last thing that the liars have never t- taken accountability for doing to her. Um, Jenna says that they'll have to see how things turn out. Nate runs at Hannah, like screaming after her, asking where Emily is. Um, Hannah's like immediately like put off by this. Like, what is this dude doing? She you know, says that Emily's in swim class. What does Nate need? He says that he's really confused. He and Emily were in a groove, but she pink slipped him. Hannah MVP of all of life. Rolls her eyes. She is so done with this conversation and goes, um, Nate, she's gay. She dated your cousin and walks away. Uh, Nate kind of chases up behind her and says that he understands that Maya was fluid um, and thought, you know, maybe things were the same with Emily. Uh, Hannah says that Emily does not play games. Side note, super not into bisexuality being treated as game playing somehow and fluidity being, you know, like a manipulation. What's happening here? Um, But Hannah nods over to Jenna and uh, she and Nate kind of bond over their hatred and distrust of her. Uh, Hannah makes the mistake of referencing the fact that Jenna was pretending to be blind for a time. And Nate totally freaks and starts yelling after Jenna. Because that's all he's doing this episode is just yelling after various girls. I know you saw me, girl. I know you saw me. Yeah, this is when Nate says, you know, oh, I thought it was about the person, not the equipment. Maya was pretty fluid. What he's really saying is like, I mean, I'm cool with bisexuality as long as girls want to do me. Like, he can't imagine a woman not wanting to sleep with him. That's his, like, like, that's just the beginning and the end of him. Yeah, you know, it's it's also just such a shame. Like, we talked, we, way back when season seven was airing and we were, like, I think it was season seven, we were emailing about how um, annoying it was that the word predator it was used like twice on the show. And one of those times was in conjunction with talking about Emily and that whole awful storyline where like she was like framed for being a predator at the school or spying on teenage girls or something ridiculous like that. This kind of reminds me of like a reverse version of that where it's so upsetting that one of the few times that bisexuality is talked about and like the whole, you know, it's the person, not the equipment, all of that. It's cousin Nate talking about it in reference to, you know, his chances of sleeping with various queer girls. Uh, yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, wow, that's also really interesting that, uh, you know, Cousin Nate killed Maya, a queer woman. Uh, he wanted to go on a date with and was possibly targeting Jenna, another queer woman. 
Uh, he yep. winds up kidnapping and threatening Paige in order to revenge himself on Emily. Like his track record with queer women is really something there. Really is. It really, really is. Mm. Uh, oh, well, back on the show where Aria is on a wacky elementary school caper, uh, <laughs> she sits and talks to Maggie while in a class of the most self-sufficient and well-mannered <laughs> first graders in the history of the universe. Um, they are blissfully doing finger painting without fighting, crying, or wrecking any incidental destruction. Aria learns that Maggie is single, but does okay meeting people. She also discovers that one of the kids in the class who comes over and politely asks Maggie, may he have a play date with Brian later, <laughs> is actually, boom, 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 her son. <laughs> His name is Malcolm. Very dumb name for a very fake son. I thought you were going to say a very dumb name for a very dumb child. <laughs> no, he's, I mean, he's, all of these children are wise and quiet beyond their years. Yeah. I feel like Aria, after, after Maggie reveals this, Aria looks at this kid, her eyes turn cold, and she looks at this kid like she recognizes that she's now going to have to kill this little boy in her relationship with Prezra. Like, she's like, ah, damn it. I really didn't want to have to kill a kid today. Well, this is like an example of like, you know, like the line from Sappho, like, if you're squeamish, do not prod the beach rubble. Like, if you think you might wind up feeling like you need to kill a fake son, don't go chasing after your predator boyfriend's, you know, high school girlfriend. Don't go chasing waterfalls, Aria. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is, a, this is not a good... This is not a good thing. And then as if we, like, there's going to be a lot of clarifying and over-clarifying on what this child's presence means in this episode. But but as if this was not enough, Maggie is like, yep, I was a teen mom before it was a TV show. And it's like, okay, yeah, okay. We get it. <laughs> we got you, Maggie. We got you. So... Spencer is reporting back to Cece about this trunk show. This like weird trunk show thing. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it isn't. I think they just didn't have an extras budget for this episode. Or maybe they used all the extras budget on those very well-mannered little children. Uh, <laughs> Cece needs bodies, she says. Um, but Spencer uh, admits that Emily, they might have to count Emily out because she confronted Emily about Paige. Um, and once again, Spencer comes across as weirdly naive uh, because she asks what Paige and Allison were fighting about, and Cece reveals with glee, Emily. The just the shit stirring glee that is palpable <laughs> on Cece's face as she delivers that line, Emily, is just like chef's yes. kiss, Cece. Yes, completely, completely. Cece is, she's doing such a masterful job of manipulating Spencer. Like, all yes. Cece did previously was just tell her that the nickname was Pigskin. And, like, that was enough to send Spencer into this, like, you know, charging at Emily, making these accusations. You know, she's, like, already done so much. And, like, now she's come back to Cece. And Cece's like, oh, gosh, you already got in a fight with Emily about this? Well, she's like... <laughs> She's like playing that, like she's playing that chess move where you're like, you start with your knights and you're like, 
I'm just going to leave these knights here in like E4 and B4, you know, do what you want. I'm not like luring your queen out or anything. And Spencer's like, oh, I'm moving my queen to D4. One of those knights will be mine. And then like CC effortlessly like moves knight to C2 and Spencer does not even realize that she signed her own death warrant. Like CC is just like, she's got the whole end game planned out and Spencer is just like waltzing right into it so hard. Yes, I just, yeah, she's playing such a good game here. And I just love the way that she's, like, then then in, like, in real life, she's making Spencer help her with this stupid trunk show. Like, it's like, she doesn't have to add that element in, but she's like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sprinkle this in here as well. Um, so we go to a flashback um, to an event that also is questionable if it happened or how it happened, but it is certainly a significant moment. Uh, Cece and Allie are in Cece's car in town. This is the first time that we're seeing Cece and Allison together, right? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. And they're like, it's it's clear that these two have like quite a rapport. Um, Allie is telling uh, telling Cece this story that where she stole some of Emily's stationery and wrote a very steamy love note to Paige. Think moist. Um, which, God, the knowledge that Paige has been in love with Emily for, like, all of this time is just utterly heartbreaking. Also, Allison, it is totally not gay at all to write a whole bunch of sex and fan fiction about the girl you're secretly in love with and the girl you're pretending to hate. <laughs> not gay at all. Um, uh, Cece is worried that, um, you know, what's Emily going to, what's Emily going to say? Allie insists that Emily is clueless. She's got this all planned out. Um, she has said that, um, that Paige can't talk to her about it because of Emily's boyfriend. Uh, Paige approaches on her bike. Oh, Paige, she's got her little braid. She's got her little polo shirt. She's so nervous. It's like we're watching a car right before the crash. She has a little note and she's written Emily's name on the back and she gets off her bike and she tucks it under the little sign where Allison told her to put it. And then Allison hops out of the car, and runs over and grabs the note. And the way the page just her face falls and she just goes, no, 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 no. And it is. Oh, my God. It is so such an upsetting moment. Um it's yeah Allie reveals that she wrote the note and should she just take this and she could bring it to Emily or maybe she could just forward it to Paige's dad is he still the deacon at the church uh Paige yells for Allie to give her the note uh but Allie says think again pigskin I own you now however she looks a little spooked as she walks away and gets in Cece's car and tells Cece to drive um, Paige is like both heartbroken and enraged in this moment and, um, not at all in a way that makes her seem like a villain, but in a way that makes, um, makes her seem like somebody who's, who's gone through a lot here. Uh, back from the flashback, Cece says that Allie would never admit it, but Cece thinks that Allie was scared of Paige. Oh man, this scene, uh, first of all. Uh, I love that Paige's outfit is the the polo and the and the shorts, like because yeah. that really like it throws back to like the time when Paige was super gay but trying not to be super gay. So <laughs> she was like wearing these clothes that made her look like so uncomfortable. Um, yeah. 
So that that's like, uh, you know, you know, you're getting like the earlier version of Paige. Uh, and also just to talk about Cece in this in this scene, uh, who like there's there's the moment when uh, like Paige appears on her bike and Allison's like, there she is. Get down. And Cece's like, you get down. She doesn't even know me. Like Cece yeah. is just like really enjoying having her front row seat to this like drama uh, which yeah. I think is, is a key to her character. And also, even though like I hate this scene and it's so hard to watch, um, there's the moment when Allison is describing how she wrote this steamy note uh, to Paige on Emily stationery, and you know, she's telling Cece about this plan that she set in motion. And Cece says, Ooh, mama's proud. And I love, even though I, I don't like a lot of the scene, I love that Cece says that because it's an acknowledgement of their familial relationship and also their like, like the intersection of biological and chosen family here uh, in the way that like Allison is trying very hard to be Cece while Cece is now trying very hard to be Allison. Yeah, that's, that is, that is a really great point. That is a really good point. Yeah. This, this scene is, is so hard to watch. I, I actually, I mean, this scene makes me very uncomfortable to watch, but I actually really like this scene just because I think it tells us so much about Paige and about Allison um, and about Emily, too, that Emily's just sort of the, the clueless person kind of in the center of this. Um, but that but that obviously, you know, Allison obviously didn't pick Emily's name out of a hat here. You know, it's, she she picked Emily for a reason because of her relationship with Emily because of what she knows, what she's observed about Paige's feelings towards Emily. Um, and it's just, it, you know, sometimes on TV, you'll, there'll be a thing where you'll see a flashback about a character that maybe you don't know that well. And it won't really, it'll be, it'll feel very shoehorned in this moment always has felt like a perfect little puzzle piece of Paige's backstory that we get in this moment. Um, yeah, it just oh oh, Paige, and, and also Allison's backstory. Like, yeah. I mean, Allison's behavior. I mean, it's it's full on abominable. Like leveraging the homophobia of Paige's own family against yeah. her. But like, there's so much going on because like Allison, like watching the scene now, it's canon that Allison is also a queer character. Like Emily, you know, like Emily is going to be. Allison's partner uh, at the end of the show, like they're an endgame couple at you know the end of the run of PLL. So, <laughs> you know, for yeah, for a minute. But like, so we know that Allison is also a queer character, and the fact that Allison is doing this to Paige is just like it's it's just like the same thing. Like she is trying to punish Paige for having feelings for Emily that Allison has herself that exist within. Allison and whether it's because Allison is in love with Emily and wants to keep her for herself or whether it's just that another woman taking a romantic interest in Emily would like it would weaken Allison's chief hold on her at this point it's it's hard to say what it is um, but it's definitely like this is coming from a place of Allison and the reason that Allison looks scared when she's running back to the car is because she's afraid she's tipped her hand like that she's revealed too much about the lengths that she's willing to go through to keep Paige away from Emily. And Paige is like way too freaked out to realize in this moment that Allison has tipped her hand, 
But you know who saw the whole thing? Cece. Cece is fucking delighted by this because she has just learned with her powers of observation that Allison is bi and that Allison is willing to go through like a pretty extreme like pantomime uh, to keep this person away from Emily. Because like even if Allison and Paige are like at war, Paige kicked Allison during soccer. Like we know that Allison completely wrote off someone throwing a muffin at her. Like kicking Allison and leaving a bruise during soccer, like Allison would like steal Paige's clothes and throw them in a toilet and make Paige walk around the locker room naked until she found another outfit. She would like, you know, sabotage Paige's swimsuit so that there was like a wardrobe malfunction in the pool that would be so embarrassing. She would like put Nair in her shampoo. Like that is the level of like what you would expect to meet in this situation. Mm -hmm. Allison has gone to like just a whole nother level. Yeah, completely, completely. And I mean, I just have to bring it back to the fact that like, and this whole other level, like what she actually does is sort of a hilariously a super gay thing. She writes this super gay love letter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, but the thing is, Allison knows that it's going to be effective. Like, she knows it's going to work on Paige and that Paige is going to be vulnerable to it because she is vulnerable to it as well. Like, she is also under the same pressure to, like, not let anyone know that she's not straight. Um, and we know what, you know, we know what the De Laurentiis family did to Charlotte. We know how Kenneth behaves around Jason. Like, I'm sure Allison has all the information she needs about how her own family would react if she came out to them as queer. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and this, this, you know, this story, this fantasy story that she wrote to Emily about, you know, um, that she, or she wrote as Emily, which again, an interesting identity (laughs) thing, right. (laughs) Is like, this is, this is what. A part of in Allie's heart, what she longs for, she longs for Emily to leave Ben and for them to to run off together in some part of her heart. Um, and in another part of her heart, she completely wants to shut all of that down. Um, and this is this sort of weird, um, you know, like thought experiment outlet for that, that she's kind of created. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting that, that this is where she goes. And, and also totally heartbreaking because um, what, what, what this does to Paige is, is horrible. I mean, it's just, it's just horrible. Yeah. Now, yeah. What is, what is your headcanon about? I know timeline is like the thing we don't want to invoke, but what is your headcanon about when in the timeline of things, when this event happened? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think I think that it has to be the summer before Allison disappeared. Because it has to be after the Halloween party where Allison figures out that Emily is gay. So it, it has to be after that October. Right. And she and Cece were apparently, uh, you know, palling around Kate May. So, yeah, I, I think it has to be the summer, the summer right before Allie vanishes okay and so emily is firmly with ben at that point and, yeah um and yeah and it also makes you wonder about what Cece knows about emily and about emily's relationship with allison and like what Cece's perception of emily is at this point and what Cece knows about spencer because keep in mind she is using this information to like just pull spencer's strings uh 
just in a masterful, masterful way. Well, yes. And also it makes me think like, you know, is, um, I don't know. I take it to a Melissa Hastings place of like the, the, the letter that, the letter that, uh, that Cece would like to receive from Melissa Hastings at this point. Well, you know, there's also a line in this scene when Allison, uh, when Allison is talking about how she wrote the steamy letter and Allison says, I'm talk like Allison says something like, I mean, we're talking moist. And Cece says, oh, I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. And mm-hmm. I feel like we also need to talk about that line because what's going on here? Cece, uh, as we see her here in season three, certainly doesn't seem like the kind of person who would be homophobic. She was like living in California. She's like, you know, very like she seems very like open minded and kind of mm-hmm. like flirtatious with people of various different genders, has a lot of chemistry with different people. Um, so I think it's interesting, like, uh, you know, what's, what's happening there? Like, is Cece supposed to be homophobic? Does she just hate the word moist? Did she eat a bad hot dog earlier? Uh, or what I think is happening is she trying to distance herself from any kind of otherness in order to keep her own secret. The layers here of what everyone is trying to keep hidden about themselves uh, versus what they're trying to reveal are truly mind boggling. That's a really great point. That's a really great point. Well, and I, I also think that there's this kind of disgust towards Paige, like Paige specifically. The idea there's, there's like the idea of queerness is seen as as bad and gross, but then the idea of like Paige specifically is seen as bad and gross. I think this is something that even like definitely in the in the pan in the fandom in the Paige rage, people have this. People are really it's that reaction that people have towards Paige. I think, and I I do think that 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 comes into play a little bit here as well as this really um, pay, a little a little bit of this kind of Paige's gross thing. Well, yeah, and that's a shame because, like, when you think about Paige, like, you know, we know what Paige had to struggle with when she was coming out. Like, and she's yeah. going to tell us, you know, she's going to tell us about it a little bit later in this episode about how it felt to be tortured um, by Allison. But just when you think about Paige, like, coming into this like she's been so afraid uh and so closeted and just utterly and completely isolated and she's worked so hard at this point to like repress her desires and just imagine the world of like hope and confusion and fear she must have felt on getting this letter from Allison yeah. that was supposed to be from Emily and also just the courage that it must have taken her like just the just the incredible uh, incredible bravery it must have taken her to like write back and head out into the world with that letter in her bag and like leave the note under that sign it just kills me because she is being like man she's just being really valiant she's really she's she's really like reaching for the life that she wants with both hands here she's risking so much and she deserves a lot better than what happens to her in the scene yeah yeah, she is. She's being, she's being, um, she's putting herself out here in a way that actually n- none of the other queer characters have really done up till this point. Um, yeah. and this is, this is what happens to her. Oh, Paige. Paige. Yeah. Colors. But it's like, you know, that's what, that's what it is. She's putting herself out there. Like her queerness was evident to Allison. It was visible to Allison. And that's the thing 
that Allison like is punishing her for. Like yes. you made visible what I want to be invisible. And I think that that's very much what Spencer is reacting to as well. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah, and I mean, and I think that that, that dynamic is also present in uh, Mona and Emily. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. Okay, over at Emily's, she and Paige are hanging out on Emily's bed. Paige is studying with earbuds in. Emily's reading a book. Emily broaches the conversation about how exactly Paige knew Allison. Paige says she didn't. She knew of her. When Emily casually says that Spencer thought, Paige immediately interjects to ask why Emily's friends are talking about her instead of to her. Great question. But unfortunately, it comes off uh, due to this being, you know, Paige looks suspicious week as defensive. Uh, things continue to go downhill when Paige suggests that maybe Emily should be wary of her friends. Four people were drinking at Spencer's and only Emily got drugged. This goes nowhere as Emily is quite firm that she trusts the other liars with her life. But maybe not with her girlfriend's bag. <laughs> yeah, um, I really like their very casual physical intimacy in this scene. Emily has her legs draped over Paige's back. She kind of um, tugs Paige's earbud out and Paige smiles like she's happy for this moment. Again, Pam Fields is either not home or has really relaxed her... Uh, Emily's girlfriends in the bedroom policies here. <laughs> My goodness. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough because like these are not necessarily bad points that Paige is making. And similarly to the way that Jenna was kind of making these points during the con game episode of like Emily was with her friends when she started the process of getting violently drunk that night. Um, but because yeah, because pa everything Paige is being framed as suspicious this week, it's just weird. But as it is, Emily's having all these interactions with people where it just looks like she's not picking up on, like, their weird subtext. <laughs> I do like I do like that we get this scene of Emily and Paige after the scene of Paige being tormented by Allison. Because I feel like, uh, I feel like it goes from, like, a really bad moment to Paige to Paige, like, having the life that she wanted within her reach. Like... She has yeah. Emily, uh, she's in Emily's bedroom, Emily's draping her legs over her back, and so it's like, you know, th things have turned out okay for her for, for this week, kind of. Well, and I think it, it also fits in nicely with that scene in season one when she comes over to Emily's house after her date with Sean, and she's staring at the window seat and talking about how she always wanted a window seat and sort of... Um, yearning both for Emily and for Emily's life. And now it's like, she's just part of Emily's life. Um, also, I think that it's like a queer pirate novel that Emily is reading in this scene. Um, and so that's pretty fun. Um, okay. Prezra's apartment. Aria has brought uh, some kind of pastry box here and is startled by Wes, uh, who spins some very fake sounding story about the manager, letting him in to leave Prezra a gift. Um, this guy always seems like he's like lying, but not very good at lying. Um, Aria looks sad and thoughtful. She asks why he told her about Maggie. And he says he didn't do it to mess with her head. He assumed that she already knew. She admits that she went and saw Maggie, um, claiming that it's because Prezra needed to know that Maggie is okay. Aria tells him that Maggie is a mom uh, of a seven-year-old son who looks a lot like Prezra. 
And Wes takes about five minutes too long to put together what that means, that in fact, this little boy might be Prezra's son. Um, Why wouldn't she just tell him that he has a son, Arya asks, to which I reply, oh, I don't know, Arya. What about your experiences with both Prezra and his mother would lead you to believe that telling him he has a son would be in any way a good idea? (laughs) Yeah, I love that. uh, I love that Arya is like, for Prezra's birthday, I got him a secret that I can't tell anyone, but I'll immediately <laughs> tell his brother the moment he shows up. Plus, his his thing is, like, he had a present for Prezra, so he told the manager, and he didn't want to leave it in the hallway. And then the manager, instead of saying, you can leave it with me, just lets him into the apartment. What a great way that would be to, like, rob everyone who lives in this building. <laughs> you just get to say, I have a present for them, and get let into their apartment when they're not there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's also hilarious to me that then just for the rest of the episode, Arya and Wes are just like hanging around this apartment together. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, but also the fact that Arya like found Maggie and discovered the fake son in like two seconds. Like it does sort of like go to her point about how much Prezra didn't care to inquire further about it all these years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, uh, in the dressing room at Diva Dish, Spencer is doing the least amount of helping that could be remotely considered helpful. Uh, She's texting Hannah that they need to talk about Paige behind Emily's back some more, uh, but her message fails to send. Cece seems to be missing a box and heads back out to the truck as Spencer slowly disrobes and keeps focusing on her phone to the point that she does not realize that one, she has been locked into the dressing room, and two, that she is trapped with a snake in the small space with her. She discovers both of these things simultaneously amid lots of screaming. Uh, Also, I get that it's a shock, but Spencer takes literally no action to defend herself against the snake other than screaming her head off and trying to get the door unlocked. I would give her some suggestions about trying to trap the snake under the box or going after it with a hanger or a shoe, but I'm mad at her for her treatment of Paige, so I think the snake is doing some of the work of karma. (laughs) Uh, Who bursts in to release Spencer from snake jail at the last possible moment, but Cece herself, who goes in and attacks the snake with a mannequin leg that she just grabs from out in the hallway. Man, after she slaughtered that queen, she moved right in with the other knight to knock out the pawn and the rook as well, because she has now cemented Spencer's trust in her. Yes. Yeah, she totally has. And, you know, given her a a fear of snakes for the rest of her life after this, I can't blame Spencer too much. This is how I would react if I was locked in a small room with a snake. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that that shot of Spencer, like, you know, her whole life flashing before her eyes in the foreground and Cece hitting a beating a snake to death with a mannequin leg in the background. That is a. That is a PLL classic. You know, like, Spencer, like, once Cece opens the door, Spencer, like, falls out of the room. Like, she she just, like, dives into any space that does not have the snake in it. Uh, And Cece is just, like, like, I mean, they've had no conversation about it. Like, Spencer has not been screaming snake. She's just been screaming Cece's name. Um, But Cece seems extremely prepared for there to be a snake in the dressing room. 
Yes, Spencer acts like, I don't know, like Scarlett O'Hara having just seen the devastation of the Civil War battlegrounds or something. (laughs) Like, she's just, she cannot unsee what she's just seen. (sighs) Yes. It is really something. Um, So this is a, this is another nonsensical but very fun scene where um, we cut over to uh, Hannah's bedroom Hannah adorably asks if the snake was alive as she tucks her legs up into the chair underneath her. Um, She's still convinced this might be Jenna, but Spencer, who is even more wound up than she was earlier in this episode, thinks that it is Paige. Hannah insists that Paige is not after them. She's in love with one of our best friends. Uh, First off, Hannah, people who are in love with you can hurt you. Sorry to break it to you. Second of all, I really like Hannah putting this in, like, dramatic queer terms. Like, she doesn't just say, Paige is dating Emily. She's like, she's in love with her. Um, Spencer brings up that Paige was with Emily that night, and maybe she was hauling her off to uh, to the grave. Was it Paige who, who, um, who you know, took Maya that night that, that she died? Uh, Spencer is completely spiraling. She just kind of goes on this little rant about Paige being obsessed with Emily for years, um, and going on about the many things that Paige could have done. And in the middle of this, Hannah's phone rings and Spencer has this hilarious delivery of who is that? Is that Ren? Um, <laughs> Brian and Ashley are doing a lot of heavy lifting in this episode to make up for the fact that this storyline is not a particularly good one. Um, it's not Ren. It's actually Emily. And Spencer's like, what are you going to say to her? And Hannah's like, I'm going to say hello to our friend. Um, for once, Hannah is the calm one. So, you know, Spencer must be pretty wound up. Um, the, Emily is calling to talk about the knife, the, the one that she and, uh, Hannah found in the last episode, the one that stabbed Hannah. Um, Hannah, she, she's like, please don't tell me it was rusty. And of course, Emily can't find it because cousin Nate grabbed it. But, uh, Emily says that it was in her bag and Hannah and Spencer take this to mean that Paige must have had it or must have taken it because she wouldn't even need to break into Emily's house. She was already invited uh, I guess A operates on like vampire rules. <laughs> uh, this is this is where I took the note thinking about this storyline in comparison to when Spencer thinks that Prezra is A and the different ways that she and the other liars react when it comes to talking to uh, Arya about it. Because, uh, you know, definitely like Ezra and Arya had been together a lot longer at that point, And also Prezra was in a position of authority over all of them. But still, like, the the care and concern um, and, and sort of painstaking um, checking over everything that Spencer did at that point, none of that is to be found in the way that she's dealing with this. Well, and just the time frame of it, like, of the suspicion yeah. and the, you know, the building concern. And this is all just very slapdash. This is just, yeah. like, this just seems like Spencer's, like, suspect of the week. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we get no heartfelt voicemail messages from Spencer about how she really hopes she's wrong about this, you know? No, no. And, like, when when they're talking about it here, like, Spencer does make it really explicit um, that she's equating her queerness with her guilt when she talks about, you know, Paige was jealous of Allison, she was jealous of Maya, uh, mm-hmm. and she's really, like, like, she's really very clear on the fact that those are like connected in the way that she sees it to, to Paige's motive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ugh. Oi, over at Prezra's, Ari is freaking out over how she can possibly tell Prezra about all of this 
Wesley offers to stay to dinner for moral support because, you know, why not get a free meal out of all this drama? <laughs> Arya cries. We've only seen the fake son one time and already I am over it. Yeah, yeah. They're just preparing for the saddest birthday party ever. Like, it's just um, a man's birthday party. And it's like the the... The party actually looks like it would be more appropriate for the seven-year-old fake son because there are like there are balloons. There's like a, a helium thing that says like "Happy Birthday" magneted yep. onto the fridge. There's a banner. Like yep. I mean, I, I know that President is a man-child, but um, this this party is really it's really something. And like just the fact that Arya like went on this whole like very Rebecca Bunch esque. Uh, mission to like go and pretend to be someone you're not and dig around and see what you can find out like it was always going to be awkward for her to tell him about what she did but now she has like an actual consequence which is that oops she knows about the fake son yeah and another another like weird thing that happens in this scene is that she kind of brings up the fact that she and Wes are the same age um, because she makes reference to the fact that they were learning fractions while this little boy was being born. Um, over at the Diva Dish, it is time to prep for the trunk show brought to us by Tresemme, as we helpfully see a row of Tresemme hair care uh, in a little glass case. Uh, Cece is directing traffic, but uh, Hannah doesn't want to change in the dressing room. Cece promises that animal control has been there and has cleared the place. Um, she pulls a dress off of, off the rack that, of course, Hannah can't wear with her open wound because it's this uh, short, tight purple thing. Um, then she tosses some product placement dry shampoo over to Hannah because maybe that will improve matters. Brought to you by Tresemme. Um, Spencer, who has apparently spent a lot of time looking at her friend's legs, uh, pitches that this dress might be more appropriate for Emily. Um, they are nervous about seeing Emily, but say that they'll go in easy. Ha, like these two have ever been good at that particular job. This is like this is actually a case where the rare case where Aria would be the helpful person to like take this task on because Aria, A, she's she's always good at I mean not good at dealing with romantic matters, but like she sort of plays devil's advocate in these moments. And also she has a little bit of a lighter touch than uh Hannah and Spencer do here. Um Cece finds a longer dress that Hannah says that she will wear. Yeah, you're totally right. If only Arya were on the same show as these other liars, she would be she would be ideal for the, you know, the feelings talk here. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, Hannah could kind of take the reins of Arya's story because uh, Hannah, you know, she'll she'll just blab stuff. She'll just like she doesn't have a care in the world. <laughs> yeah, she'll just be like. Stuff. Happy birthday. You have a fake son. Bye. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, So Hannah goes to try on this dress uh, that Cece had uh, had available. Uh, While Hannah is changing in the dressing room, she is grabbed hand over her mouth style uh, by an unseen person who turns out to be Caleb. Uh, Caleb tells her he spoke with Ashley about the videos he told her that turning them in would mean Wilden and his cronies watching Hannah change into a bikini on a loop, and that one of Rosewood's finest is currently on trial for killing two of Hannah's friends. He doesn't know if he convinced her, but he tried. Uh, they make out, and they're clearly getting off on the secret relationship situation. Uh, Caleb remains suspicious of Jenna, 
but Hannah isn't sure who they need to be scared of anymore. Yeah, I feel like um, Caleb, you could easily watch this episode and think that Caleb is A, because he does not seem very worried during the computer lab scene, and he's just, like, super creepy in this scene. I mean, the way that he grabs Hannah is really weird. Um, The way that he just sort of deals with the whole Ashley thing is kind of suspicious. And then when Hannah's like, well, so he's snuck in here and she's like, he's, she's like, how did you get in here? And he's like the same way I, or how are you going to get out of here? And he's like the same way I came in, but he doesn't explain what that was. And so you could easily put it together that he uh, snuck the snake in earlier. But alas, that is not the case. Um, Over back at, Back at the saddest birthday party for a grown man ever, Arya and Wes are weirdly taking items out of the oven together. It's like these two have just kind of fused into the same person. Um, they spin, when Ezra walks in, These they spin this weird story about why Wes is there that totally makes it sound like they've been secretly hooking up. Uh, Prezra is in a jollier mood than earlier. He finally talked to Maggie briefly on the phone who told her that his life is good, but did not disclose about Malcolm. His guilt is all gone. He shall never think about his culpability in any situation ever again. Arya and Wes share some guilty and concerned eye contact. Yes. Oh, Prezra is just so relieved. You can just see him, like, waiting to take credit for Maggie having a nice life now. Like, she might not own her own home at such a young age if he hadn't gotten her pregnant and his mom hadn't paid her to disappear. <laughs> like, yep. he's, he's, like, just an inch away from it. Uh, he's so smiley right here. He is so smiley and smug. Whoa. Um, oh, man, this, this episode is just so full of hard scenes. Uh, Emily arrives at Diva Dish, having brought Paige along. Uh, Cece whisks Emily away to try on the purple dress that Hannah didn't want. And Paige greets Spencer, who is just blisteringly cold. Uh, Paige really gives it a good try, uh, attempting to help Spencer put jewelry on some mannequin hands. Uh, She tries to have a genuine conversation uh, about, you know, her style of flying under the radar. And I think what she's really trying to say in her own semi-awkward way is that she understands she might be hard to get to know, but she's crazy about Emily and their relationship makes her more confident. Uh, I kind of think she might also be trying to say that she's not the same person she used to be, like who Spencer didn't much like when they played field hockey together. Uh, But Spencer is giving her very little to work with. Um, Paige behaves like an adult and tells Spencer she knows that the liars have reservations about her, but she'd really appreciate it if they could make a fresh start. She is very earnest, uh, but undercuts her point somewhat by breaking the mannequin hand. Oh, and the way she's like, oops, after she breaks it. Like, it's so sad. I think this scene is so interesting because, you know, we have seen Spencer dealing with many different people who she thinks might be A or might be involved. And this is not typically the way she reacts to them. Usually she's actually very eager to spend time with them, to interrogate them, to talk to them, to kind of play the game with them. In this instance, she seems instantly uncomfortable and avoidant when it comes to Paige, almost like Paige represents some part of herself that she's not ready to look at. Hmm. Also, I feel like the way that Paige is like talking about being more comfortable under the radar, she then kind of looks at Spencer in this way that's like kind of saying like if there's things that Spencer is sort of under the radar about, maybe they could talk about that or not talk about that as the case might be. 
<laughs> good, good call out about the use of under the radar there for sure. Uh, yes. Um, Prezra blows out his birthday candles on his big boy birthday cake. He doesn't need to make a wish. He has everything he wants. Um, Wes glares at Prezria as they kiss. Arya leaves to go deal with the cake. Wes makes fun of Prezra's music and theorizes to Arya that Diane might still be paying Maggie off. Um, and that uh, and Arya says that um, he's going to, Wes has to talk to Diane because now if they come clean to Prezra, this little boy could be cut off. Prezra's like, how do you guys feel about Super Tramp? And uh, <laughs> in, in, uh, at the same time, Wes and Arya go, who? Oh, Prezra, just hanging out with his kids. <laughs> um, man, I, yeah, I mean, of course Prezra has everything that he wants. He is a straight, rich white man with an underage girlfriend who's never faced a consequence in his entire life. Um, also, I love that, like, he goes over to change the record on the record player, and, like, Wes and Arya go talk in the kitchen of this one-room apartment about the fake son. Yep, yep. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Plus, just the fact that, like, now they're going to, uh, they're going to sick Diane Fitzgerald on Maggie? Like, what if she doesn't know about the son? Like, now you're just, like, dropping a custody battle on Maggie's head out of nowhere. Um, yeah. They really, like, they're they really spiraling here, these two. Uh, also, since Ezra is uh, asking what they would like to play, he's, like, taking some musical requests here. My choice for what Ezra should play at his birthday party would be like uh, Kesha's Rich Straight White Men. Uh, what if Rich Straight White Men didn't rule the world anymore? That's the song I would like him to play. <laughs> what song would you request him to play at his birthday party for you? Oh, that's a that's a good that's a good question. Maybe that Beatles song that has the line about she was just seventeen. You know what I mean? <laughs> Another good choice. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of old school uh, problematic songs that that Prezra could probably play at his birthday party. Um, I just, you know, this show and and men's birthday parties. Like there was that episode where Hannah was like so insistent, like Caleb's never had a birthday party before, and now Arya's like, we must protect the sanctity of Ezra's birthday party. Like, you know, you're you're right. And here's a question: In all the years of the show. Have we ever seen one of the liars having a birthday party? I think, yes. Emily has a birthday party. Emily has the disastrous surprise party that Paige throws for her in season four, where Jenna almost drowns. Oh, is that a birthday party? I guess I'm pretty I guess sure right. it's a birthday party. Oh, well, yeah, that didn't go great. And we know for her birthday, you know? <laughs> True, yeah. true. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, back at Diva Dish, where no one else has yet arrived for whatever this event is supposed to be, and no real progress seems to be made on the setting up front, Hannah and Spencer are folding sweaters, and Hannah is explaining she didn't know Emily would bring Paige along. Uh, Spencer is now suspicious because Paige dared to want to befriend them and says she's trying to kill them with kindness before just killing them what level has spencer reached now is this a 19 or a 20 uh they see Paige's bag and spencer asks hannah if they think the knife is in there hannah 
I'd like to think because she's hoping this will shut Spencer down, participates in a very bad scheme. She gives Paige a new outfit to help Emily try on. Uh, whatever it is, it looks pretty queer. It looks like kind of like a peasant shirt and vest combination. I, um, I did note that it looks like something Cara Delevingne would wear. <laughs> it does. It does. Oh, my goodness. Um, but uh, she gives this to Paige to go get Emily to try on, uh, getting her Paige out of sight so that she and Spencer can paw through Paige's bag. Spencer sees something that makes her gasp just as footsteps approach, and Emily walks out in a fancy purple dress. Hannah and Spencer stand in front of the bag in a total trying-to-look-innocent-but-clearly-caught-in-the-act pose. Emily instantly understands what they're doing, and her reaction is cold fury. What are you doing, she says. Paige walks back out, and Emily immediately says that they are leaving, Paige tries to interject, but Emily tells her not to be so forgiving as she declares she's changing out of the dress and then they're out of there. Uh, Paige stands there holding her bag and looking hurt. Hannah feels like this was a disaster. Now Paige really hates them and Emily hates them more. But Spencer feels vindicated because of what she found in the bag and thinks is proof, which is the earring that Arya put in Allie's coffin. Now, let's just recall that the last time we saw this earring, it was planted in Arya's locker which was not real proof that Arya had stolen a body. Someone was framing her. And after that, they used to test, they used the earring to test Jenna's blindness. Jenna was the last person who had this earring. So Jenna could have dropped it somewhere or given it to someone who gave it to Paige. It's not proof of anything. And also Cece had free access to that bag the whole time Spencer and Paige were talking earlier. Get a grip, Spencer Hastings. Yeah, this is this is not Spencer's best look here at all. She's just she's like maniacally gleeful here too when she's like Emily will forgive us. Look what I found. Um, <laughs> also, I love that um, Shay Mitchell comes out of the dressing room in that dress and those heels, and it's like she's she's playing it mad, but like she can't she can't help but model. Like she's totally like stomping the runway as she like walks in. She's like no. <laughs> Don't be so forgiving, but she's like, she does like a hair flip and like walks back. <laughs> she, she does. She does. Oh my goodness. Um, also, I think that um, if Hannah and Spencer wanted to not just be standing there, like totally caught in that they were pawing through Paige's bag, I think they should have gone for the shock angle. I think when Emily walked out I think they should have started kissing and they should have acted like the gayness of Paige's bag like brought this out in them that's that's the alternate uh that I think could have maybe gotten them out of the situation a little bit better I have no problem with that I have no problem with that um yeah especially since there's like some weird it feels like Spencer's projecting so much like weird low-key homophobia this whole episode that like um that that would be a, a good button on the end of this Oh, yeah. Well, you know, she really is. And but I think it's very notable uh, that the other like the the other major incidences of homophobia that we've seen on the show uh, were Spencer uh, making that crack to Emily about the breaststroke. Uh, so that was like a, a queer person uh, acting out internalized homophobia against uh, an out person. And also uh, we saw Allison just earlier in this episode. Uh, behaving in a really homophobic way towards Paige, Allison, also a queer character. So I think that that's definitely, like, that's definitely germane to the Spencer conversation. Very, very good point. I agree. 
Um, so, oh, this scene. So this will be another, uh, this will be another content warning scene. There will definitely be some discussions of, of self-harm in this scene as well. Um, Paige and Emily sit on Emily's porch. Um, Emily says that they probably shouldn't have gone to the weird boutique trunk show thing tonight, but Paige takes full responsibility, um, saying that she's the one who made them go. Um, you Emily brings up Cece and how Cece started this whole thing. And Paige says, no, that this actually started with Allison. She admits that she did, in fact, know Allison. She knew her well enough to hate her. Allison spent most of ninth grade torturing Paige. First, it was with teasing, which Paige could handle. She could push back. But then it got worse. Allison was relentless. Um, And Paige starts to cry that she says that she was completely alone. Finally, it didn't matter what Allison could do to her because she could do so much worse to herself. But then Paige thought if she disappeared forever, Allison would win and she wouldn't let Allison win. She couldn't. They hug and it is super, super heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking for all three members of this equation. It's heartbreaking for Paige. It's heartbreaking for Emily. Um, hearing this, not just hearing this about her, what this thing that her girlfriend went through, but hearing that the girl that she loved and who was, you know, one of her best friends and who was also now dead, um, had a hand in making Paige's life so miserable. I mean, how horrible is, would that be to hear? Um, and it's also heartbreaking for Allison that Allison, um, you know, was, grew up in this in this household and in this environment and just with the feelings that she felt about herself um that that she would behave this way that she would treat another person this way um i really feel like limiting all of this to like ship wars you know emerson versus paley and all of that like i just feel like it completely misses the point of these three uh complicated characters dealing with the ramifications of living in a homophobic world living in a world that uh, doesn't want them to exist, doesn't want them to express themselves freely and thrive and find love. Um, and it makes me really glad that ultimately uh, Paige does get a happy ending at the end of the series because, man, she sure goes through a lot. Yeah, she deserves it 100, 110%. Um, I, I agree with, uh, with what you're saying about how it's heartbreaking for all three of them. And also for Emily, because Emily, uh, at this point in the show, before we know that Allison is going to be alive, like a question that Emily holds in her heart and like worries over constantly is were Allison's feelings real? Like, were those kisses just for practice? What would have happened if she would have found a chance to tell Allison the right way? You know, like these are things that Emily... um, carries with her and I think hearing this story about the way that Allison treated Paige uh is is pretty devastating uh in terms of who Emily hoped that Allison might turn out to be yeah yeah it's like it's it's like Emily is is um you know she can't stop uncovering layers about Allison since Allison had has died and sometimes the layer that she finds um is maybe a a good thing or something that seems to to be a positive, but, but so often it's just something that makes Allison's world seem darker and crueler and way more complicated than Emily could even begin to imagine. And 
it's like one more one more layer being peeled off here yeah well later in the show uh like in at the end of the run allison is going to have that line about how emily always sees the best in her and it's true that emily has always tried to see the best in allison no matter how twisted allison's behavior and mm-hmm. it's really hard like it's really hard because emily has these feelings for Paige. she you know they're in this relationship that's that's burgeoning together and uh and, and for allison to have wounded Paige in this way uh it's it's not something that emily can look away from right yeah that's a really that's a really good point that's a really good point yeah this is the this is the truth and this is one of those moments where it's like um Paige's world is existing not on like the liar's plane of like you know act normal bitch and you know crazy this and that and you know this is not like the Mona A who's like this you know ninja ghost bully kind of thing this is like this is like true true bullying and and you know in your face every day and not to minimize what the liars go through but like what the liars go through is such a heightened version of existence and what Paige is talking about is like this is something that people actually do go through, you know, this kind of bullying and, um, and that kind of, um, re- you know, reaction to it and, and the self-hatred and the, and the self-harm and all of that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's so interesting that it's like Paige's competitive spirit that ultimately uh, saved her in a sense. And as, especially knowing how, um, how much friction that caused at the beginning of when we were first introduced to her character, you know, and her dynamic with Emily. Yeah, I think that's a great character note for Paige, that it is yeah. her intense sense of competition uh, that pulls her out of it. And, uh, you know, another person who has that same intense sense of competition, just, you know, coming to mind off the top of my head, no reason at all, Spencer Hastings. Yeah, and Allison. Allison was very competitive, too. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, you know, I, I said it, I think, in the last episode, um, at the end of the scene, like, when Paige is sobbing and Emily's holding her and they're both crying, uh, Emily is so present for Paige in this episode. Mm-hmm. She's so fearless in defending her. She's consistently standing up for her. Um, she is steamrolling the liars when the liars try to, like, be jerks about this. Um, you know, this is what emotional support looks like. And honestly... Fuck this show for not letting Emily and Paige be happy. I hate that they grow closer in this episode because Emily's friends have, you know, been so awful. They're like uniting into a stronger unit. And the next week, Paige is going to be kidnapped and tortured. Yeah. No, I totally, totally agree. I really feel like the show ramps up all of this interest in Paige and, and Emily's interest in Paige is all ramped up here. And then it's like Paige is kidnapped. And then it's like, oh. She just kind of becomes an afterthought both to the show and to the character of Emily. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. I forgot that Emily was like very present and a very good partner to her uh, at this point. Uh, And it's a bummer that it doesn't, it doesn't last. Yeah, it totally, totally is. Mm. Um, Over at the Marins, Hannah enters the kitchen. So I guess whatever the event at Diva Dish was, it must be over now. Or it never actually existed, and it was just a thing that Cece invented to get all the liars in one place and move them around a little bit. Uh, Hannah asks if Ashley watched the videos. She has. Before Hannah can say anything else, Ashley takes the flash drive and runs it through the garbage disposal. 
man, Hannah's phone was thrown in the sink to destroy evidence that one time. If this sink could talk, how much evidence it has swallowed. Uh, Ashley reveals there was a moment with her and Detective Wilden on the flash drive and that it, she wants to forget the whole thing. Uh, Ted arrives and Ashley tells him it was the work of the bully, but she cannot give it back to him to give to the police because... And then Hannah cuts in and takes the hit to say that she destroyed it. Uh, Ted doesn't really have much that he can say about that, so he and Ashley and her pretty, pretty blue dress head out to dinner. I don't like that it's like this dynamic where it's like Ted has this sort of paternalistic like, well, we better take it to the police. And rather than Ashley being able to be like, you know what, Ted, I disagree. This is a matter concerning my daughter. I appreciate your help on this matter, but I'm going to handle this in the way that feels appropriate to me. It's like that Hannah has to lie. And then it's kind of like Ted gives this sort of like disapproving look over to Hannah. Like, you know what, dude, this is not your business. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely trying to insert himself into uh, Ashley and Hannah as a unit, and no one needs that. No, and and there's there's a, this this vibe of like, well, he's gonna come in and save these little ladies. Like, I don't know, not not into it. Um, so Spencer has brought Arya's earring to Prezra's birthday party, I think. I think that they're in the hallway of Prezra's apartment, which is interesting. We've never she- we've never seen... Well, no, I guess that's not true. We have seen the liars at Prezra's apartment, but we haven't seen them, like, show up like this in this way. Um, Spencer is gleefully relaying her theory that Paige dug up Allie's grave. Paige might be A. The question is, how are they going to tell Emily? I think there should be a 24-hour waiting period on Spencer voicing her suspicions when she thinks that someone is A. Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. Also, once again, I say pity poor Prezra's neighbors who have to have this, like, constant stream of drama uh, in the hallway of their building. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, weird, you know, weird teenage girls and guys showing up here, like, being, you know, shouting about mysteries and clues and money and cars. <laughs> it's a little much. I really wish, um, I really wish that Prezra had come out of the apartment and been like, oh, that single earring? Is that my birthday present? And like tried to take it away from Spencer. I think that would have been really funny. That, yeah, that really would be. That really would be. <laughs> he like tries to jam the earring in his ear. <laughs> it work. This is cool, oh. right? This is what young guys do. <laughs> oh, um, back on Emily's porch, uh, Paige goes inside to wash her face, leaving Emily alone. Uh, Jenna approaches and says she needs to talk to Emily about her friend. Uh, Jenna is approaching, like, Paige goes in, and Jenna is, like, lurking in the bushes and, and then kind of comes over. Uh, when Jenna sees that there are two cups of tea, she spooks. Uh, she says that she thought Emily was alone. When Emily presses her, Jenna says she needs to be very careful about who she spends her time with. Very careful. Then she goes off and gets into a waiting cab that is having her luggage loaded into it. Jenna is obviously, like, fleeing her home, possibly town, uh, which, you know, Jenna has good preservation instincts. That tends to be what she does when she feels like she's in danger. Uh, Returned to the porch, Paige picks up Emily's buzzing phone. It's an incoming call from Spencer, which Paige declines just to make herself look more suspicious. Emily comes back over, and the two of them go inside. 
Yeah, I do really love at the start of this scene, like they're kind of gazing at each other lovingly, like they've just, you know, they're sort of in the aftermath of these intense revelations. And now they're just kind of like, you know, they, they've like leveled up the intimacy here between them in Paige opening up to Emily like this. And and there's just this real sense, like like you were talking about, like Emily just is so present with Paige here. She asks if she wants more tea. Like, it's just really, it's really lovely. And it's unfortunate that then it's capped off with, you know, Paige coming off as, as super suspicious. Um, do you feel like there is a non, like, do you feel like there's any world in which Paige declining the call from Spencer would be appropriate? Oh my God. I think it's a hundred percent appropriate for her to decline this call from Spencer. I think considering that Spencer just like pawed through Paige's bag without consent I think, like, Paige declining a call from Spencer and Emily's phone is an extremely mild consequence for Spencer Hastings to face. I agree. I agree. I just feel like, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before, the dynamics of, like, interacting with somebody else's phone. And, like, I, I don't know that Emily and Paige are, like, quite there in their relationship yet. But um, but also, it's not like, you know, it's not like, like, if even if Paige declines the call... Like, it's not like Spencer is, you know, like, they'll never talk again or something. Like, Spencer right. lives, like, right next door. So it's, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like she declines the call because she doesn't want Spencer to intrude on this particular moment. Right. Um, and also because, like, Emily is real worked up about it. Like, Emily yeah. is real mad at her friends. Paige is probably sparing Spencer from, like, just another argument. Um, but also, like, there's, in this particular scene, Emily says... Uh, well, I, I guess at the beginning of, of the start of the scene that you were talking about, Emily says she doesn't know how to begin to apologize for her friends. And it's like, yeah. you don't need to apologize for them. They need to apologize to Paige. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This is sort of like the slight danger of the liars so often operating as such a unit where it's like, ladies, you have individual identities here. You do. You really do. Um, so it is time for the A tag. We see A is at a jukebox and selects a song with lyrics talking about smiling faces pretending to be a friend. Then A hands off a key to another A. There are two A's, everybody. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, and the key that's being handed off is the key uh, that Toby will be caught with later. Uh, so I think it is a pretty safe assumption that one of these A's is Tobey. <laughs> Tobey, yes, pretty eyes himself. <laughs> yeah, um, and that is the episode. Wow, we we got through that. How are you feeling? How are you doing after all of that? Woof, man. I mean, I feel uh, I feel a lot of empathy for all of these poor, confused uh, queer ladies on this show. Um, but I think that, um, I think that it's really interesting that the level of, the level of animosity that Spencer has towards, uh, towards women that she's suspicious of, who are also queer women in the form of Jenna and in the form of Paige, I think it's really interesting. And I think that we know, uh, from the existence of Mona Vanderwall as A, I think that we know that, uh, on this show, sometimes the lines between love and obsession are are blurry. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's unfortunate that they they make that an equivalence, but they often do. And so I think it's very possible that uh, there is a very fine line 
uh, or possibly two sides of the same coin of the obsession that Spencer has about Paige, about Jenna, the other side of that coin could be attraction. I think that's a very good point. I think that's a very good point. And also her, the way she is with Mona um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's also this thing of Spencer being so fiercely protective over her friends. Right. And we see that come into play time and time again. Here in this episode, it seems like it's less about her being protective over Emily and more about her wanting to be right. Um, in the next episode, I think it goes more into her being kind of more protective. But um, that's an interesting thing, too, because there I think I know that when we when we get to the Prezra reveal stuff, we'll we'll get into this. But like in that whole storyline, the way that she reacts could very easily be also read as as romantic jealousy, romantic rivalry with Prezra for Arya's affections. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, some some blurry lines for sure. Um, but next week, it is the end of 3A. I can't believe we're there already. It is, um, oh, the Lady Killer, right? That's what that episode is yeah. called. Um, and the the final reveal of who killed Maya um uh, any any guesses <laughs> gosh <laughs> so many possibilities uh, right <laughs> i just it just is so infuriating that emily like she sees through what cc is doing instantaneously in a way that spencer uh just can't put together and yet like she's so perceptive about that but when it comes to cousin nate and all of his aggression towards ladies who don't want to sleep with him she's just yeah. like La, 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 nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It's really, it's really, um, it's really curious how selective she can be about that. Well, and the the sort of the thing that you called out earlier in this season when you said we're getting to a point where the liars just decide someone is their suspect and then that person is their suspect until they decide someone else is it. Like, if, if they had done anything, like, tried to figure out who had access to that bag and then try to check those people out to see if they might have the knife that might have yielded cousin Nate. Um, if they had tried to see like who besides Paige could have had access to her bag that could have led to Cece, especially because Cece also had access to the dressing room where the snake was like, you know, there are a lot of things that they could have checked out uh, that they just sort of didn't because they were wrapped up in their own supposition about what was happening. Yeah, and to me, it just, like, I I said this earlier, but it just comes across as bad storytelling and sort of storytelling that doesn't have faith in its audience, that it's, everything is so spelled out in this episode. You know, I mean, even that line where Spencer's like, I'm not calling her a snake. Everybody got that? Snake? You know? Later, she's in the dressing room with the snake, you know? Or even, like, the whole thing of of Wes and Arya having to point out, like, 10 million times in this episode that Malcolm could be Prezra's son, like we wouldn't get it just seeing this little boy and, you know, being able to do the math. Like it's, it, it feels like storytelling that doesn't have faith in its audience to the point where like the cousin Nate thing is so obvious. It's so obvious that Paige is a red herring. Um, and it's just kind of like it, it, I'm glad that we get all this backstory for Paige, but there's ways in which it makes it, I think it makes the whole thing less compelling because it just feels so, 
you know, so clear that this is all just going to be a giant misdirect, which I think is is unlike in the end of season two, all the Melissa stuff, where it really did feel like we could be building to this reveal of Melissa. And that would have felt really very satisfying um, because so many Easter eggs had been planted throughout the season. Um, but then the reveal of Mona felt equally, if not more satisfying, you know, like it, and and none of it was so, so, so spelled out like, oh, my God, this is what's happening. Um, it, it had more faith in our ability to kind of put the pieces together. Yeah, I, I definitely, um, I, I definitely think that that is true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why, why it is. Yeah. Well, the. The thing, though, like, this is obviously all a red herring. We know, like, everyone has by now watched the full run of the show, presumably. Um, so we know that Paige wasn't A. We know that Spencer was wrong here. But the interesting thing is that people who really hate Paige in the fandom, they still treat Paige in the way that Spencer does in this episode. And I think the harm this episode does is that it 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 gives you the message like, it's okay to treat Paige the way that Spencer treats her. Yes. Queer. And Paige is like one of the most realistic queer characters that we ever see on the show. And so I think it's not a great message to say, like, it's okay to treat Paige with contempt and suspicion because of her queerness. Like, that's not on. That's not on at all. I totally agree. I totally agree. It just gives gives more fuel to the Paige ragers out there. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's really, it's really not good. And if any of the men were treated the way that Paige was treated in this episode, things would be very, very different because the laundry list of things that they have done to their partners is so much longer than (laughs) what Paige, when, then, you know, Paige's head dunk, which was not a good thing, but, um, I feel like we have a lot of context for why that happened and, um, Emily moving past it makes sense to me. And um, yeah, even just the other day I saw Buzzfeed had this list of like, um, I don't know, like 20 decisions that teen characters in TV shows have made that are nonsensical. The very first one was Emily choosing to date her, the the person who tried to drown her. and it's like, well, like, it's not weird for Spencer to date someone who faked their own death. And then, like, she was yep. institutionalized because of her grief over that. Like, oh, that's totally normal. Everybody does that. It's a rite of passage. It's like the latest proposal pretending to be dead. Right. It's not weird for Aria to date her high school English teacher who uh, was secretly filming her for years and pretending <sighs> not to know who she was and not to be involved with her dead best friend. Like... Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not good. And also, it's it's kind of like the thing. And I, I feel like I probably said something similar to this when we were talking about Paige before. But it's like people who act like, oh, you know, I, I can't possibly be homophobic because I have a gay friend or I have gay friends. And it's like if if you think that Emily Fields is the good kind of gay or that Allison is the good kind of gay because they like are very feminine in their presentation, but that Paige is like this hideous monster. Um, I I think that you might benefit from assessing where that comes from within your heart. 
Yes, completely, completely. There is very much this dynamic where Allison and Emily do not make people uncomfortable because they're, you know, they're girly and they're feminine and they're very relatable and they can hang and Emily can read fashion magazines and, you know, it's like they're really non-threatening and Paige is, Paige wears suspenders and rides a bike and is, you know, awkward and breaks mannequin hands and she's not a girly girl. She can't hang in that way and so she's bad. Well, and when we see like Nate's acceptance of queer female sexuality as being fine as long as they would still be willing to get with men, i.e. him, uh, Allison has kissed various guys throughout the run of the show. She's had relationships with them. Mm -hmm. Emily dated Ben. She kissed Nate in the last episode. Paige, on the other hand, uh, you briefly see her dating Sean, who would barely kiss Hannah when they were together. Um, So we've never really seen Paige. Uh, we've, we've never seen Paige make out with a dude. Paige is not for dudes uh, in in a way that a lot of the other girls on the show are. Well, and even the ways in which Paige is sort of um, like objectified or not objectified during the show. Like I feel like the moments when Paige would be considered to be more objectified are moments when she's more masculine presenting. Like when she, you know, dresses up as Marlena Dietrich on the Halloween train or like her you know, her suit that she's rocking during the ice ball versus, you know, when Emily gets all dolled up, it's it's very um, traditionally feminine. And, you know, um, I think be, partly because, like, of Shay Mitchell's model past, like, she looks like a supermodel, you know? And I think that that makes people feel more comfortable. Like, if Emily was out there, you know, rocking suits during the times when she gets dolled up, that would be kind of a different thing. Well, yeah, but even when we talk about, like, feminine presentation, think of how many times Spencer Hastings has worn a tie versus sure. how many times Paige wears a suit on the show. Um, but Spencer, you know, Spencer is, uh, you know, styled as very feminine, even when she's wearing, yeah. um, you know, even when she's wearing ties and, and other pieces of, you know, more masculine identified clothing. So it's different. Like, Spencer is existing for the male gaze in a way that Paige does not. Yes, Spencer is is uh yes, Spencer is existing for the male gaze even when she's wearing a tie and you know ob- obsessing about lesbians and you know <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Super straight Spencer. Super 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 straight. Yes. Have you ever <laughs> Spencer, have you ever considered trying to get Paige to admit that she's A by stealing some stationery <laughs> and writing her a super steamy letter asking for a friend. That would be so funny if after hearing that story from Cece, she was like, there's only one solution <laughs> for how we're going to, for how we're going to deal with this. Clearly it worked before it'll work again. <laughs> I mean, we don't know that she didn't try it. <laughs> Well, but see, here's the question, though. Maybe this is a good question to end our conversation of this episode on. Paige is already with Emily. So the letter couldn't be Spencer pretending to be Emily for like a, you know, to plan a clandestine meetup or whatever. What, how how would Spencer frame this? Who would Spencer pretend to be? And what would she be asking Paige for? Well, she could be pretending, she could, she could write it under her own auspices. She could pretend that she was so she she was so awkward and weird around Paige because she herself 
had these feelings and you know maybe she was like trying to put a note into Paige's bag that's what was happening oh there uh, at Diva Dish you know like she's had feelings for her since they were in field hockey together blah 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 like so that's that's one option um it might not go well but she, she could try um she could she, oh she could pretend it was Hannah <laughs> or Mona <laughs> yeah I think Hannah would be a good one because Hannah has also been super weird with with Paige through through these last few episodes. But she might need Hannah to help her because Hannah can uh, fake people's handwriting. So it's it's tough. It's it's tough yeah. to say. She might just pretend it was from Emily. <laughs> Emily's like doing some role play or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Oh, that is so funny. Um, well, if you have thoughts on uh, on what Spencer's grand plan for uh, catfishing Paige might be, uh, you can uh, send us an email or a or a or a letter to uh, everybody a podcast at gmail.com. Preferably not a steamy letter. We'll just take you know uh, a PG rated thing. Um, you can also uh, at everybody a podcast. You can send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate that. Uh, I can't believe that we are barreling towards the end of 3A. It is hard to believe. Um, it, it is. Thank you for listening to this long, long episode and its many like dissertations about queerness and identity. We appreciate you coming to our TED Talk. We totally do. We totally do. Um, also, if you want to hear us do more of a deep dive on Paige, you can listen to our Hey There, Paige McCullers episode, which we recorded Almost exactly a year ago, I realized earlier today, which is which is pretty uh, wild to think about. Um, it just goes into a lot more about Paige and sort of our feelings about Paige and kind of Paige's overall arc. Um, it references things that we talk about here. We, I, I know that I was referencing it at points here because I just re-listened to it. So, um, yeah, if you just if you just cannot get enough of us geeking out about Paige McCullers, go ahead and take a listen to that. Till yeah. next week. Till then. Bye bye.